What's up, party people? I go by the name of Raj Elevate. Welcome to the Elevated Audio Podcast with my co-host. Chris Audio, how you doing? Today we have our first ever guest, which I'm highly excited about. He's a good man. I know him personally. Actually live with him. He is one-fourth of the international touring group Soliloquist of Sound. He works and tours with the iconic Miss Lauren Hill. If you don't know who Miss Lauren Hill is, you should not be watching this. Um, he is an advocate, activist, and a teacher for mental health awareness, a master electronic musician, producer, and the father of an amazing four-year-old little girl. Um, he goes by the name of Da Vinci. What's up, Da Vinci? How you doing, man? Yeah. What's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that? Was that? Did I hit mostly everything? Did I leave anything out? Uh, no, you got. It. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, man. Just drop all your credentials, man. Just drop your bona fides. <laughs> uh, I don't know, dude. Like, there's a. I uh, I guess I don't know if you mentioned it, but uh, I run uh, Creative Wellness platform called studio sensei i teach a um creative wellness framework and intuitive literacy training program called the sustainable practice method and that uh is all informed by my history as a martial artist as well as a creator and yeah yeah i'm releasing a lot of music this year blah blah blah, blah all this other stuff <laughs> right so that's actually a pretty good segue into the first question um so what um, what really drove the conception of Studio Sensei and uh, why are you so passionate about teaching um, and teaching about mental health uh, in particular? Um, I guess there's a few things that came together in my life that, that made me want to officialize the work I was already doing into some sort of named thing, which became Studio Sensei. Uh, the, the short overview of it, though, is I've always been a guy that people ask advice from, mm -hmm. that people um, go to for help in mediating things with other people, in their relationships, uh, in their own process, uh, people asking me about how to do things technically, musically, and... Um, I just always found myself teaching and at one point I was teaching martial arts and teaching mm -hmm. music and um, teaching music technology and, and how to use certain gear. And I was doing that. Uh, th there was one time actually when I, I was teaching Miss, Miss Hill mm -hmm. how to use certain gear. I was doing like a two week tutoring session and like when I take breaks from teaching her, I teach her kids martial arts and I teach your kids too. Yeah. Bob Marley's uh, grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Man. Um, but yeah, uh, I, you know, I've, I guess it's going on nine, almost, almost 10 years mm -hmm. that, uh, that I've been working with her. But at one point, you know, I was doing that and, I remember she was calling me sensei uh, 
just because of the circumstances. And my buddy actually started a, a blog that he wanted to work with me on called studiosensei.com. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, mm, I don't like the name. Um, oh, so that wasn't your name. I thought you actually came up with that name. Well, I didn't come up with it. He sent me a list of names and he was like, what do you think of these? I'm going to buy a domain. Which, which one do you think? And I was leaning towards some other ones. He was like, I'm kind of leaning towards Studio Sensei. And I was just like, oh, what? It, you know, when, when you go there, it's going to have like Asian writing and <laughs> gong is going to play or something. like." <laughs> <laughs> some wind chimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because I'm Asian and a martial artist, I was thinking it was going to be like tacky. Uh, <laughs> but after a while, I was like, that name's really good. And then um, I came up with the logo and at a point like the, we just weren't doing anything with the site. So I was like, Hey, can I, can I r roll with this? Can I run with this? Uh, I want to use this as my kind of like my, my mentorship coaching program slash create a wellness platform. And, and he was like, yeah, go for it. And that's pretty much how it came, came about. And these days I do a lot of workshops especially now online workshops, but I do them in person when we're not in a global pandemic. And uh, I also do one-on-one -on -one sessions with people and create resources like courses, tutorials, and like sound packs and things like that. Yeah, lots, of things, lots of things coming down the pipeline. Yeah, I went to your, um, I attended one of yours, the first, well, I attended, I attended two. The first one was the, um, the intuitive literacy one, which was just like, mm. so informative and helped me so much. Man. Yeah, so. that's, uh, intuitive literacy is something that I don't know if I, the first one to use that term, mm. but I'm definitely. You're the first one I heard ever, uh, use that term. I mean. It's a big world. Someone's probably put those two words together before, but oh yeah, I'm sure they have. I for just, me, what it means is it's the ability to re basically read your intuition, read what your intuitive voice is telling you, and interpret it accurately into action. Mm -hmm. It's it's the uh, the way by which we trust ourselves by using the skill of intuitive literacy, and um, that's that's kind of what I'm interested in. The the two workshops that you attended were from my how to practice series of workshops and my how to practice yeah. series of workshops are specifically tailored to teach tangible ways to practice seemingly intangible skills. So I have one called how to practice worrying less, how to practice trusting yourself, how to practice intuitive literacy, how to practice. Uh, the latest one I did was how to practice making sense of it all. Like these are things that, you know, aren't necessarily uh, recognized as quickly as technical skills, but they're, they're actually, they actually are maybe not technical, but there are steps to learn how to do these things, how to worry less, how to trust yourself, how to um, have empathy, have empathy for enemies, <laughs> have empathy, you know, in general, these are skills. And, and part of the sustainable practice method that I teach is that God is a skill, meaning everything is a skill. Right. Everything is a skill. I remember you saying that. Everything yeah, and it's an important thing to look at because uh, uh, what I like to do is I like to 
approach things very pragmatically. I don't believe in optimism or pessimism or realism or any kind of ism that's just a monolithic way of thinking. I don't think like... Uh-oh. I thought you said you were a realist. Hmm. I, I don't I don't really real bro. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said I'm real. I didn't say I'm a realist. Um, I think I'm just I said I'm about that real shit is what I said. <laughs> you misheard me. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> My daughter might have been around. Maybe I said real ish. Maybe. Uh, um Ishes. Yeah. No, I just don't necessarily I think that any one point of view that just looks at things from like a, a single angle isn't necessarily a productive thing. It's not a whole way. And Do you say that because everything's so subjective, everybody basically has their own reality. Uh, sort of. Um, but more so than not, it's like, uh, everything is there. <laughs> uh, Alex, Alexandra from, from soliloquists mm-hmm. has one of my favorite quotes ever said by a human. And that is everything is both. Um, so like, think, yeah, yeah, that's a good it one. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and if you want to take that further, it's everything is both, which, which do you choose or something like that. Right. And I, I kind of adapt that to everything is at least both. Right. Um, so if you're, if you're just coming at things from a positive place uh, and, and trying ignore, you know, everything's positive and negative, you know, like everything is both at least and um i just think it's useful to look at all of what's there and choose uh, acknowledge all of it and choose as opposed to just try to be positive for example like optimism is uh, you know i hear a lot of people who are self-proclaimed optimists that say oh yeah i'm just trying to be positive you know keep my head I'm like and i'm like mm, why <laughs> why why try to be positive you know i think it's a much um healthier pursuit a much more progressive pursuit to try to be productive you know don't focus on the most positive thing focus on the most productive thing that's a that doesn't necessarily mean the most positive thing you know what's the most productive thing and and i think that's uh i guess it i don't know i you know i was just talking to somebody last night about uh he he was like you know that's the nihilistic side of me and the optimistic side of me feels this way. And I'm just like, mm. nihilism, optimism, they're just, they just missed the mark. You know, if you have nihilism, what's that? Nihil- and you said nihilism. Nihilism is like abandoning of moral or religious practice in favor of the idea that life is meaningless. Okay. So a nihilist is like, ah, this not, none of this means anything anyway, you know? Is that like atheism? Mm, I, I'd say that there's overlap with atheists and nihilists. Not synonymous. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's its own thing. Um, but I mean, there's definitely a lot of. I I haven't done a lot of research, but there's definitely a lot of atheists ni- that are nihilistic. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those things are just like okay. Well, what's it matter? You know, what's it matter if it's meaningless? But is that more of like a, you know, just, I don't mean to say it in like a negative way, but like maybe, okay, let me, just, I'm going to say like a phrase, right? And you tell me if this kind of is in line with nihilistic um, thinking. Just, just 
thing as it comes and don't get mad about it. Don't get happy about it. It is what it is kind of thing. Yeah. Like just take things as they come type of thing. They just happen, you know? Yeah. uh, It it could, it could. It's almost like, um, you know? Yeah. I think it really just comes down to like, ah, it doesn't matter anyway. Everything's, you know, this isn't going anywhere. (laughs) Um, but I mean, the, the problem I have with any of those beliefs is let's just talk about nihilism. For example, I, you can't prove it. You can't prove that life's meaningless. And by the time you can, it might be too late to even mean anything, <laughs> you know? Um, and I can't prove that it has meaning either. So where does that leave us? Right. Um, I think people get like really caught up in that. Like, does everything happen for a reason or does it not? You know, is everything happen for a reason or is everything meaningless and everything random? Who cares? What, what, what benefits you the most to assume, right? Because that's all we could do. We can't prove any of these things really not to a a definitive point. So what, what do you do then? You just, well, you behave a certain way that's in your best interest. I like to call it your best chess move. Because like in chess, there's a bunch of moves you could make, but there's one that's the best, <laughs> you know? Right. And the best chess move we're left here is, okay, I can't prove that it's worth uh, looking at. Uh, I can't prove that life has ultimate meaning or it's meaningless or that everything happens for a reason, but I can prove more so I can prove that if I behave like everything happens for a reason, it will work out better for me. Mm. So that's it. I don't get caught up in like, okay, let's try to prove this or that. Cause I can't. <laughs> and if I could, it's going to take, a lifetime of research, <laughs> you know, that's too much. What matters? Well, how, how am I going to live the life that I have? Well, I live like life does have meaning and not only like it has meaning, but like everything happens for a reason. And again, I can't, I don't mean to, I don't care to prove that it, that's true. I just know that if I approach life, like everything happens for a reason, anything that does happen, I will look for the reason in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's useful yeah. right? because bad stuff's going to happen to me. Good stuff's going to happen to me. And for me to not get caught up in those results, it's in my best interest to see, okay, what, what from this experience is helping me get to the next one. And I think that's just the, the best way to go about it. Mm-hmm. So it ultimately, it ultimately goes down to what benefits you the most. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm big on that. Uh, even when I teach Azumi, my daughter, you know, I'm, I'm always teaching her. You know, she's four, but I've always been teaching her, like, how to get what she wants. I tell her, like, I'm, I'm teaching you how to get what you want, mm-hmm. right, through, through, through these through these uh, legitimate superpowers, from the practical superpowers, which is communication, patience, 
right? If you think about these things and how they scale out as into an adult, if you had the best patience in the world, if you had the best communication skills in the world, or even just really good ones, um, effectively, you could do a ton of things that you wouldn't be able to if you didn't, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So in, in as, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, like those are superpowers. Those are like the most practical superpowers that we could we could have, because when you're able to use words correctly or in a in a useful uh, way, it's almost like casting spells. Like you like you actually have yeah. magic at your disposal. Yeah, I, I hear you when you talk to her. You know, um, you know, you say tell her articulate and ask for what you want. Verbalize yeah. it. You know, and that's I definitely um, look up to that. Somebody that's not a, a father yet. Um, I see that as something, a tool that I can use eventually. It's cool too, because doing all this work with adults, um, it, you know, when I was teaching martial arts, if somebody came from having trained another martial art, it was almost a little bit more difficult to teach them than it was to teach someone who had no training. Mm, right. Right. Old habits die hard. Right, because you're teaching them a style that they're not privy to, and they have learned other reflexes in place of the ones that you're teaching them. Now, the other person that hasn't learned anything, hasn't learned any reflexes, they're a blank slate in some of those areas. So you get to use their natural reflexes, their non-martial arts reflexes, which is where I like to teach from anyway, um, to adjust those. And you don't have to spend time helping them unlearn other things to learn something else. And teaching adults uh, or, uh, I guess, coaching, counseling, mentoring um, adults really puts into view. My my point I'm getting to, I'll just fast track there, is that it's the same thing, um, essentially. Like I'm teaching the same things to adults that I – am teaching to my daughter the methods are a little different because she's more of a blank slate and she has less to unlearn and the adults are more um it's like retroactive teaching like because but but essentially it's it's very it's similar because um a lot of a lot of us have been through some sort of trauma or uh, summation of micro traumas, you know, that yeah. when you, when you go through a trauma, you kind of like, you don't necessarily get stunted at that age that you were in that trauma, but you do like, w- when that thing happens again, you do like kind of temporarily regress to that age yeah. that, that, that trauma happened at. And so for, for my daughter, I'm always teaching her like, this is how you get what you want. Like I tell, you no, Patience is your best bet here. Here's how you negotiate with me. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. You know, um, <laughs> and uh, it's cool because I, I love seeing this happen because I'm, I'm really putting into focus that what she wants is important. And that's something that a lot of us have not been taught that what we want is important, that what we need to do is important and that what we want is secondary to that. But, right. but I don't believe in need to or should. Like those are things that I think are 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 fallacies, like farces. You know, those those aren't accurate. 
they fall too much within like a, a construct or too, uh, into like a, into some kind of box. You know, when someone's telling you, you need this, you should do this, you're fitting, they're basically fitting you into what they think. Um, things should in be. some cases. Yeah. In some cases, but I also think that like, um, it's also, it's also lacking definition, you know, like you should do this. Right. Let, let's say something that, we still say to ourselves and that we've been told ever since we were kids, you should brush your teeth. Right. Like you should brush your teeth. But then I'm like, based on what, why, why should I? So your teeth don't fall out. Sure. <laughs> but that's a different conversation, right? You're at least providing the reason, you know, behind yeah, it. There's no like, context. You should do with this. Should. Okay, but why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no context with should. That's why it's inaccurate. It doesn't really specify. And it's dangerous when you don't specify because you're casting a, a widespread spell on yourself that more often than not will end in shame or forcing yourself to do something or guilt or um, beating yourself up or forcing yourself to do something that you ultimately would want. Yeah. My my point is that I think want is at the core of every should and it's just a, a really in inaccurate and, and uh just not a, an effective way to address what we want. Like you, you said, you should brush your teeth because you want to keep your teeth. Cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? But why not just say Based upon what I want, it would be in my best interest to brush my teeth. But that's kind of what we're lumping should up into shorthand. That's the shorthand that we're – the sloppy, erroneous shorthand that we're using in place of based upon what I want, it would be in my best interest to do this. Because if you didn't want to keep your teeth, then yeah. don't brush your teeth. It, yeah. yeah. You yeah. might not want to – It's, not a, it's not a very true statement, right? You should brush your teeth. Who says – Based on what? What context? Yeah. Why should I if I don't like my teeth? I, I want right. them to fall out. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you never know. <laughs> Which could never happen. I mean, look at this file. You know, this yeah, file. you got a great smile. You got great teeth. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, the, but it, it, the thing that's dangerous about that <clears throat> is like, it's like we're outsourcing our wants to this should energy. Mm. only to force ourselves to do something that we'd ultimately want to do. Yeah. You think Why that, would we do you think, oh, I was just going to ask kind of it on that note. Do you think that if your want is not exactly in line with what you're being told or you believe is in line with that should, do you think it's stigmatizing your want? Like, oh, that's, that's wrong, you know, because um, this is what you should do, but I want this. So this is wrong because this is what I should do yeah 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 i think i think a lot gets lost in that that conversation with yourself like go brush your teeth because you should you know right. um because even if it does line up with your want even if it doesn't it's still the same result you're still not addressing your want directly you're still right. going through this third party of should well what if that person doesn't know what they want like zumi for instance what if she, she doesn't know if she doesn't brush her teeth that they might fall out. What do you say to somebody that doesn't know what they want? Would you still tell them that they should brush their teeth? 
But I think well, it, it's just like, yeah, tell them that should, but give them the reason why so that there is understanding, you know? I, I, I try like not to use the word should at all. Okay. I, I try never to use it. <laughs> um, if I do use it, I re-say the sentence, you know? Yeah. I replace it with want, could, based upon what you want, it would be in your best interest to, or it would be in your best interest to. Like every time I say should, need to, have to, ought to, like those types of things, either to myself internally or to somebody else, I, I immediately repeat the sentence with the more accurate phrase. Well, what if that person doesn't know what they want? Would if they don't want? know what they want, um, the context calls for different scenarios. So with Zoomy, uh, it's, more, it's more like, I'm not saying you should brush your teeth. I'm just saying brush your teeth. Here's why. <laughs> I'm your father, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, brush your teeth. And here's why, you know, uh, and I, I show her like my fillings and, you know, I, I, I tell her about what happens, you know, like you lose your teeth, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. And you just right. connect it, but you connect it with a want, you know, you connect it with something that they'd ultimately want. Now it's, it's harder with kids because cognitively patience isn't really, Time is a, is a is a different construct for kids, you know. Like cognitively, they don't really understand like later. <laughs> you know, what I mean, everything's so in the moment, and um, uh, so the, they're not really privy to how their wants scale. You know how 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 things uh, uh, scale out into the future, right? Uh, as they get older, they start to understand more. And then, you know, as they start to experience some of these things and she, you know, she had like a, a filling done and she knows how that felt and stuff. And I'll connect that to that. Like, you know, we, we're, when we, next time we go to the dentist, it'd be good to have, you know, this, that, the other thing. But, uh, for kids, it's like that, you know, uh, cause you're actually guiding them through a particular process, through a thought pattern that you're trying to create reflexes around for adults. Um, you more question right what do you want right and and but you're right like a lot of a lot of people don't know what they want then that's where intuitive literacy comes into play is you start practicing listening to what you want even if you don't feel like it's the thing because the thing is we always know what we want we second guess what we want often and we think that if we change our mind, oh, we didn't ultimately want that thing that we originally said we wanted. That's not necessarily true. You wanted that for that amount of time, and now you change your mind. That's fine too. Like, mm -hmm. um, I think the the uh, overwhelm of choice often makes people feel like they don't know what they want, but it's more so that they're just indecisive, and they might. Here's the thing. Sometimes people want more than one thing. And when that's the case, a lot of times they're, they've been taught that they can only have one thing. But that's not always true. There's, there's, there's ways you can have both mm -hmm. or, or multiple things simultaneously. You have your cake and eat it too. Absolutely. Now, when you say that um, and not knowing what you want or, do, or actually knowing what you want, in the context of like art, um, music, or any anything creative, right? 
um, we can all want a certain goal and there could be multiple routes to that same goal, right? And I think what you're saying is, or in the context of what you're saying there where, you know, some people just change their mind or they think they don't want something anymore. You think that there is to an extent some artists or creators who maybe set the bar at, at a ridiculous level, not in the way that it's unrealistic or anything like that, but let's just say I produce music. Okay. I could sit here and say like, oh, I hypothetically speaking, let's just say I, I think that Dr. Dre is the best producer ever. And if I'm setting my bar Is that there, hypothetical or do you really think that? It's, a, uh, it's not my favorite producer or anything like that. Okay. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying a well-known person. Just curious. Uh, I, I, mean, I personally like Ninth Wonder a lot. No, I love Ninth Wonder, Jay Dilla. I'm more of like a, I'm more of a backpacker. Sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Dr. Dre is excellent though, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I, I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I mean, you're making conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I think that a lot of people, a lot of artists, they spend a decent amount i don't want to say too much but they spend a decent amount of time comparing themselves to where other people are in their own music scene mm -hmm. and they compare their own art to maybe people like that are on like the top of the mountain and there might be a local guy who's just as good as that guy on the top of the mountain but there's so many other things that have to fall in your favor to get to that point right and like I said, every path is different to similar goals. And do you think that artists and maybe people who maybe give up, you know, maybe a little short of what their goal once was, do you think that maybe that's a product of maybe comparing too much to other people instead of just saying, hey, look, I just want to be better at what I really care about instead of just focusing a little bit more? Or do you think there needs to be a healthy balance of kind of being aware of what the mark is that's good enough? and just say, I know how much progress I've made. Yeah, um, let me know if this answers your question because I feel like there's, there's levels to that. Uh, it's a loaded question. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> it's a, it's um, definitely a loaded question, so I apologize. Why you give the man a loaded question? Huh? I know, I know, I know, that's what I do. Fine, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, first off, People obscure their own wants through the comparison to other people's right. uh, achievements. Absolutely. Definitely that happens. Um, like I said, everything's a skill, and we practice a lot of skills that aren't necessarily in our best interest. And we can only be so good at so many skills. So to be better at the skills that we want more of, we have to stop practicing some of their counter skills. So I did one of these how to practice workshops, how to practice healthy comparison. There's healthy comparison. There's toxic, compa toxic comparison. Right. Healthy comparison is um, something you can use. It's a skill that you can use to um, compare yourself to others without feeling like you're beating yourself up or putting unrealistic goals on yourself in a way that can motivate you and kind of help you um, get a good lay of the land of where, where you are. So there's a way to compare yourself to people without feeling inadequate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. yeah. It's not, it's not the, it's not the dominant skill that's practiced. We more often than practice the toxic version of comparison. Right. Um, <laughs> 
But, you know, if you think about it, though, for, for a lot of people like the, that toxic comparison, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, go for it. That, that toxic comparison. Do you think that really comes from a place of like envy? Or is it like a self-esteem thing where we see what someone else has and like, oh, I'll never be that good. I think toxic you know? comparisons, a whole suite of modules, sure. <laughs> right? Like sure. yeah, it's not, it's uh, not one thing. Yeah. yeah. Toxic comparison is like a buffet of, of different <laughs> micro skills or, or right. you know, smaller skills that, that make up that. And, and uh, toxic comparison can involve envy for sure. Uh, the skill of envy. And, uh, yeah, I, it, you know, I think about like what I just said about like four-year-olds and, and time, um, and and we're often taught like this, especially with the availability of the technology that we have, and everything. We're taught this instant gratification. Um, we're taught to look at things as a final product and less as a process. And those skills aren't necessarily in our best interest when it comes to comparison, because you can look at somebody like Dr. Dre or something and just look at the fruits of their labor and ignore their labor altogether. Exactly. So then when you go to sit down, you're not thinking about labor. You're thinking about the fruit mm -hmm. and you can't manifest fruit out of nothing. Right. It takes time. It takes seeds. It takes sowing the seeds and blah, 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 blah. It takes doing all these things. Right. So, um, I think if we were just taught the skill of, practice and 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 observing things as skills and understanding that a skill is just a uh, folded up version of practice and if you under unfold a skill it just scales out into a lot of practice and um, that's something that I learned early on through martial arts and it was such a valuable thing my dad First of all, martial arts to me is a practice of self-refinement. Right. It's mm -hmm. not about beating people up. It's not about defending yourself so much. It's a practice of self-refinement. Now, there's a lot of different um, things, subsets of skills that you learn within that, but that's what it is to me. And um, I think that's like my main art is, is practicing the skill of self-refinement. And uh, if you look at like my dad taught me that martial arts was three things. He, he said, it's something that I'll practice for the rest of my life. I'll never master and hope to never use. Wow. So I'll practice for the rest of my life. I'll never master and I'll hope to never use. Now, when you're taught very young that that's what you're shooting at, you know, you learn kind of quick that it's not so much about, the product is more about the process. It's not so much about the destination, more so the journey, mm -hmm. all those other um, colloquialisms and phrases and sayings. Um, so like, that's a really useful thing to learn. And it's not just, it's not, it's just not something that's taught as much as this idea of instant gratification or what my dad used to say, plug and play. Right. right. <laughs> it's not taught as much as that. And if it were, we'd be able to, um, it, this isn't the only component to healthy comparison, but if we were to look at things like that, then we could reverse engineer um, what this person's doing 
and um, kind of like superimpose it on our own practice and extract the dynamics of it and extract the practice and the skills that we want to take away from their practice and then apply it to ours in a healthy way that still leaves room for us to be who we are. So, um, but again, that's not what a lot of people are taught. So more people are like, ooh, I like that, I want that. Give me that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't I have that? You know, like, <laughs> and, and then, then we get to that place. And um, when we go to sit down and, and, and play in our own practice, making beats or whatever, doing whatever we're doing, if it doesn't immediately sound like this other thing that we idolize or that we really enjoy, this other product, well, then there's all this self-questioning that happens and that right. kills what you're, what you're going after. And, and um, it's, it's really unfortunate because uh, it's that, that's the sauce, like, is, is that discovery that doesn't sound like what other people are doing that really helps to define what you are doing. And um, absolutely, that, that leads to people not having a clear confidence in what they want because they're often comparing it to something that to, – to, to a part of a, of a greater whole. And then you just can't do that. You can't have – it's a package deal. you got to do the work, you know. Uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah no, that's – yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Perfect, perfect. So it looks like we've uh, reached the time. Oh, okay. I really appreciate you hopping on, Da Vinci. This has been a phenomenal first guest appearance, and I'm honored to have you on here as our first guest. Well, thank you for thank having, you for having me. me. I'm glad to be uh, glad to be here and your first guest. That's awesome. I didn't realize that at first. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that went quick. <laughs> Did. <laughs> Did you get through all your questions? Do you have any more? Make it a two-parter. You know we kind of had a few. We had a couple questions, and we're like, okay, we'll just kind of feel our way out, and you know, we want to keep these kind of bite size, you know, like sure, thirty sure. minutes or so, um, especially now, you know, since this is a new pod. So, Absolutely. You know, we wanna, you know really, uh, we don't want to. We want to keep, like I said, keeping bite size. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we know. Nah, bring I'm you back for another. Night, back for another episode, you know. Mm-hmm. Got to keep it short. Yeah, heard that. Well, cool. Thanks for having me. appreciate you guys. Yeah, brother. You can find my stuff at studiosensei.com. You can find me on Instagram at instagram.com slash DaVinci, D-I-V-I-N-C-I, or just Instagram at DaVinci. No one goes to the URL, sorry. Um, <laughs> just at DaVinci, D-I-V-I-N-C-I, uh, at Studio Sensei as well. And, uh, yeah, hit me up. Perfect, perfect, good stuff. And as always, you can follow us on Elevated Audio Podcast on Instagram. Check out the YouTube, you know, Raj Elevate, all over the internet. Uh, website's going to be up soon. Chris, anything you want to wrap it up with? Pretty much everything can be channeled through, you know, anything on social media, at Chris Audio. That's Chris with a K, K-H-R-I-S, audio. All right. Talk. All right, peoples. Peace.